Good day, good morning, good afternoon. It's John Summers. Um, and in a continued exploration of this new way of storytelling, um, I'm going to record this episode without Mark. So, uh, yes, because he was there just as a foil, wasn't he? Not really, but I've done a lot of stuff recently and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to put together a script and, and then talk. I don't know why. I feel the need to explain to you, the hapless listener, why I'm explaining to you how I'm structuring what I'm doing. Why do I feel the need to do that? Um, I did a road trip in Florida. Um, this was a couple of weeks ago now, but Pebble Beach has come since. And I'm like, you know what? Talk about this Florida road trip uh, before you uh, before you talk about Pebble. So. Here we are. Um, had a Prius as the rental car. Not one of these new ones. Would have been fabulous if it was one of the new ones. Would have been really interested to try that. But as it was, it was the one that had the sort of insect kind of face and, and the sort of sedan-like rear um, to it. So to my eye, not a displeasing looking, looking car. Um, did not like the second generation of Prius, the most common kind, found that most unpleasant to drive. This one seemed to have a, a, a more pleasant kind of, of driving dynamic in, in general. Um, you know, by that I mean, you know, it's, it was, it was, you know, the electrification, the torque was nice. You know, the hybrid helped with that. Um, it didn't have intrusive, like regenerative braking. Um, it's hard to notice that at all. Um, I'm not the most gentle of drivers. And, and it, in fact, it kept telling me that when you turn the motor off, it tells you the score. It, it admonished me for having aggressive use of the throttle. It advised me to modulate the throttle more. Um, patronizing who wants a car that does that what kind of automotive engineer thinks that that's a good idea but whatever i after a bit you can just sort of tune that out it also it also i think if you're speeding i think the the instruments they sort of go a sort of angry red like tap tap you're speeding rather than you know their normal like you know eco green or blue or, or or whatever i may be i may be wrong in that recollection but certainly the instruments seem to to change color and, and this car the car didn't seem to give me a high score if i'd been on the highway and it set the cruise above whatever the speed limit was the florida's very flat it's it, it makes lincolnshire look look hilly um a, a neighbor who i mentioned that to um told me a story about how uh, when there used to be lots of auto wrecking yards in Florida, that they were the tallest buildings uh, in in sight, and I I was was thinking about that because uh, the boy and I on our road trip we visited Daytona, and he was like, "Let's go to the Speedway," and I was like, "Well, really?" But there was a museum nearby, which is a Hall of Fame, and as we got close, I realised that the two were actually adjoined the Speedway and the the Hall of Fame are sort of the same thing. And the Hall of Fame had 
interesting exhibits by by all accounts so i thought you know i would uh it, it seemed worth our while worth our while going well when we arrived um they were still selling visit uh, they were still selling tickets for the visit to the track that, that you could do so uh, uh ollie and i luckily got two of the last five tickets and and were able to uh to 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 do the track tour which uh basically involved um this big f-250 towing uh, kind of an open trailer with benches on like a railway carriage open trailer with and then a roof over the top of it so it didn't really protect you from the heat it shaded you a little bit it didn't really protect you from from, from the heat and as we drove up the hill on onto the track uh the the guy asked people the tour guide was like is anybody from florida and some people were from florida and he said well uh for, for you people out of town you won't need this explanation but but for floridian this here is a hill this is as we climbed up the banking to go into the the infield of of the circuit um not very amusing the telling of 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 florida i think as uh so so the prius um I, I liked it. I liked that it was nippy. I liked that they could keep up with traffic. I liked the fact that when you were in traffic, if you stabbed the throttle, the electrification was enough to be like a, a sort of monster turbo. Um, yeah, so I, I really found a, a lot to, to like about it. Um, you know, obviously it's Florida and, and, you know, you're in a rental car, so you're not like, you know, I wasn't like exploring the limits of the handling or anything as as ridiculous as that um it was adequate um it did better than 50 mpg um and i really want to underscore that that's really noticeable when you drive when most because most of the stuff i drive does less than half that so it's very noticeable just how you know it it didn't you know you didn't need to fill it up much and when i filled it up a full tank was less much less than I was expecting, not least because gas was less in, in Florida than, than it is in California. But, you know, bottom line is I was really struck by how, you know, in the past, I've said that I felt like Tesla moved the iteration of what the automobile was on. And I felt like, you know, Lucid has moved it on again and arguably Faraday Future. I'm kind of keen to try one to understand how I feel about that. But I feel like there has been this generational movement. Where does the Prius fit in there? I'm far closer to the Tesla than you would, I, I would have anticipated before I drove one. I'm far further away from um, my 2016 Fiesta ST. Um, certainly a different generation from the, you know, O2 E55 AMG Mercedes I have or the O1 Mustang V8. So um, really it was interesting from, from that point of view and interesting that even a keen, enthusiastic motorist like me should quite like the, uh, the, the Prius. So to segue back to the, the, the track, um, to be honest, the visit was kind of naff. Like we went to Victory Lane, it was too hot to do anything. I didn't want to take pictures of me or Ollie in Victory Lane. You know, I that was like, well, blah, whatever for me. But what was cool 
was we went around the apron of the track. We entered on the back stretch just before um, the entrance to turn three. And then we went through on, on the apron, we went through turn three. And when we crossed over onto the track, you could look towards, you know, up the back stretch towards the exit of turn two and get an impression of how steep the bank was. And the answer is bloody steep. And you could look the other way and you could actually see how steep the, the banking is on the entry of turn three. And as we drove through it, you could see how steep it was. And then, of course, you come through turn four and and exit there so you know you i never would have thought the you know if you go to daytona for me it would have been important to to visit you know the place where where my favorite nascar driver dale earnhardt you know turned the wheel for the last time kind of thing it would have been nice to go to that spot to feel like you'd been there and, and we moved across that spot um in a v8 powered vehicle so you know that was that was a cool thing to to have done um, I mean, I guess the other memorable thing was it thrashed with rain and we were in a part of the wagon where we got completely wet, but that was fine. We didn't really, Ollie and I didn't really mind that. Um, we went up in the grandstands and had a look at that. The seats are all multicolored nowadays so that when the camera pans past, it looks like the crowds, the grandstands are full, whereas in reality, they're, they're kind of empty and one wonders when the tour guide points that out to you you just wonder about the future of of nascar as a mass market sport um you know i'm digressing here now but this is the the point of of these i guess you know i've been doing some research into uh sprint car racing in the in the bay area or what they used to call in the immediate post-war period Right, it's editor John here, just to say that the tangential link here is that NASCAR viewing figures are declining, precipitously so. And indeed, these midgets that I've been studying, the same happened. They had this massive boom in popularity in the late 40s. And then by the early 50s, mid 50s, it was totally gone. Um, big car racing, because the big cars were sprint, what we now call sprint cars. They were in contrast to the midgets which were the same kind of car but produced to a much uh, smaller scale and these would race on you know sub quarter mile um ovals dirt ovals sometimes paved sometimes board tracks with all the you know attendant what they used to call in period thrills and spills but what you and i would call a safety nightmare in in terms of you know cars tangling wheels and jumping up and and you know wheels hitting people on the head and cars turning over without um roll bars and and, and all of that so um uh this is the chance of doing it on my own you see i lose my train of thought here luckily i can edit myself i thought i might not bother that's really the authentic thing isn't it is to not is to not bother so look i've just woken my phone up and revisited the thing and I was talking about the Daytona track visit wasn't I so we went to the museum as well um the Hall of Fame museum um 
not that imaginatively laid out, I would say, if I was being a museum critic, but that seems very snobby and pretentious to have approached it from that perspective. I was mostly excited by the Bluebird being there. Um, it's Campbell's 274 or 282 or whatever, that, that Bluebird. Um, really a, a great-looking car and awesome to see it there alongside, you know, Marshall Teagues, you know, fabulous Hudson Hornet. Um, I guess I didn't know that Marshall Teague had Smokey Eunuch as a mechanic on those fabulous Hudson Hornets right at the at the beginning. And, and that ties up nicely with a piece of history that Ollie and I... Um, uh, that I'd done myself more recently, but I sort of showed Ollie, you know, here is the site of where Smokey Unit Shop was. Here is the site where the fabulous Hudson Hornets, which he knows of as uh, Doc Hudson from the Cars movie, um, the voiced by Paul Newman, the sort of mental figure for uh, uh, the, the main character in in the first couple of movies. Um uh, you know these dealers, these garages were close to each other, um, and you may or may not know Smokey Eunuch's place. Um, when Smokey died or retired or whatever, it sat empty. Then it burned in 2011, and now it's completely gone. It's just Florida marshland again. There's a street called Smokey Eunuch. There's a um, you know Smokey Eunuch Way. There's some nice condos. There's uh, there is a, a plinth and an information thing now, which was. Uh, which is pretty cool. But as so often with American history, hot rod history, um, the actual archaeology has gone absolutely and, and completely. Um, the Marshall Teague garage is still there. Um, they're doing their business of, of um, you know, doing jet ski trailers with chrome wheels and lifting golf carts and, and good for them. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I... I you know, Daytona Beach is Daytona Beach. Um, you know, some German friends of ours visited there too and, and you know, were disappointed by by what it looks like. But, you know, this is a seaside town that's only developed in the last 30 or 40 years. So it's inevitably going to more, look more like a, a terrible resort on some place, terrible resort patronized by British people somewhere in the Mediterranean, it's inevitably going to look more like that or more like Las Vegas than it is, uh, you know, uh, uh, the kind of old city that, that, that we're used to. And if I tell you that one of these Germans, um, you know, spent a lot of time living in Cologne, you'll understand why um, she maybe struggled a little bit with uh, with Florida. Um, yeah. Not knocking Florida, just it's a young place, so young architecture. So, guess what? The cars are history, and and not for nothing. Just pivoting back to the speedway, my God, the banking steep, right? And and I just want to underline that that you know when it, with it reading between the lines of NASCAR history, a lot of drivers when the super speedways first came along were frightened of them. So in other words, Darlington's one, if you're used to wheeling a car around under 100 miles an hour on a dirt oval with a car sliding around the moment there's pavement, the car's sliding less, you can run much faster. The speeds are just much, much higher. That's a different kind of motorsport, arguably. And it began with, with Darlington. 
Um, and I think uh, certain drivers did well there and certain drivers didn't. And I think, you know, we, we think of, um, you know, uh, uh, Buck Baker as as Darlington. You know, here's somebody who wasn't afraid to hold the pedal to the metal on, on pavement all the time. Um, I think the feeling of Florida was, uh, the feeling in Florida when the speedway was first built was, was even, even more so. Um, A1A Beachfront Avenue, we remember the line from old uh, Vanilla Ice. Um, the, the scenes of Daytona when they were racing there in, in the 50s when it was on the beach and then they make the turn up onto the paved road and the paved road is barely wide for two cars and you're looking at like Turner and Weatherly in um, convertible 57 Chevys doing a buck 40 next to each other with, you know, barely room to get a cigarette paper in between them kind of thing. That era of, of racing, um, uh, it's mostly condos now. The beach is still open. It's hard packed. Um, it hurt Ollie's feet running on it, which shows you how great a surface it is for racing, shows you why Seagrave came there, why, um, you know, I, uh, Campbell came there. So we, we understand why it was a great surface. That was, was interesting. Um, the site of the North Turn, there's a restaurant there called the North Turn. So the actual place on the beach where you see this film of them, of these, you know, jalopies, that's what they called them even at the time, isn't it? You know, understeering on the sand at more than 100 miles an hour and then bumping up onto the pavement and, and speeding on down the road and sometimes like overturning and crashing into cars that had already crashed, all of this kind of film that, that you see from, from NASCAR history. That piece of road's still there. Um, and I've got a little bit of, of film there. I think it is the original pavement um, just immediately after the turn um, on by a, by a car park where we parked up just before it's all been uh, built up into, into condos. So um, interesting that the history is still there. Um, interesting how they've chose to preserve it, package it, tell the story. Um, Ollie and I had fun. Um, the other thing that we did in, in Miami, um, and, and this is just, uh, uh, an interesting, uh, interesting thing was, uh, through Vinwicky, um, I encountered this guy, John Tamerlian, um, forgive me if I mispronounced his name, I probably have, um, either way, the bloke is an eat, sleep, drink, um, Lamborghinis. It's Lamborghinis. I'd said this to some of my colleagues at Pebble Beach and they, I could see them mentally rolling their eyes, but but this is the truth of what they do. And they had cars on the lawn at Pebble. And I can't underline how cool that was to, to, to see. Curated or online, we are curated, curated Lamborghini. It is Lamborghinis done with a Pebble Beach eyes. The Lamborghini, it, it's the Pebble Beach attention to detail and, and posterity. And, and the stories that he tells on Vinwicky are awesome. I love the, the, the stories. Um, so he tells one story about a, a rare color, a green Diablo that was in some Japanese guy's kitchen. And it was there for years and years and years. Um, he like bought the car, he restored or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember the full story. 
when we were at the place, I saw the car in the workshop. The workshop, the square footage of the workshop is probably bigger than the square footage of the showroom. And the showroom, the cars were packed in. And I mean, it was impeccable quality cars. It was, it was literally like I picked out for Mark Gammy the, the yellow Diablo SV, but for myself, a black Countach 5000 QV wing delete. Just really, really great cars, great colors, just presented in a superlatively good way in the best environment for, for Lamborghinis. Because Miami, my God, there is a vibe there. And my God, Lamborghinis fit it. I saw more of them than, than ever. You know, never did a purple Urus actually seem like applicable. But, you know, when you're on Miami Beach and, you know, my word, I'm not going to talk about the people, but my word, Lamborghinis actually fitted. So a word on one would hope to Merlion came across in person as he does in in the video and and when we rocked up he was there i just rocked up with my family it was 10 o'clock on a saturday morning or something and he was there he was selling the car i didn't try and interact with him he was moving around because he had a customer he was selling the car did the customer want a test drive the car was running they were getting cars loaded for for pebble i saw um the the car one of the cars they had on the lawn at pebble was a uh, Countach that had been the 1981 Monaco Grand Prix pace car. Um, I saw that car, you know, at, sitting outside waiting to be loaded. Um, I just love it when enthusiasts, when people who love cars are like enthusiastic, when the passion is, is authentic. That's what's great about Pebble Beach generally. Um, that's what's great about the car hobby generally love the 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 curated and and Tamerlian specifically kind of embody that so that was fun um also went to a super cool museum um forgot to mention this when was talking about the road trip the death valley uh, 124 degrees in a pickup truck with no ac well the end of that and an eight-year-old boy is that child endangerment? I'm not sure that it is. I'm just incriminating myself. I didn't do it intentionally. And no, and yeah. And anyway, um, I'll just, yeah, I can, I'm, I may need to trim that out. Um, at the end of our F250 road trip, um, we stopped at a museum in Paso Robles. And the symbol of this museum is the Estrella Warbirds Museum. And the symbol is a P-38. So I naturally assumed that they would have P-38s there. So these are this twin spar silver plane, a little bit similar. I think of them in the same area as the Mosquito, where it's basically as a fighter, but it's got two engines, so it's got twice the power, twice the speed, awesome to fly. This was a Pacific theatre-only thing. Um... I've never seen one in the flesh. Um, they don't have one. They use the symbol, but they don't have one. So that's a bit odd. But, you know, they had a Phantom F4, and, and I was quite happy walking around looking at, uh, at, at these, these planes baking in the sun. And I would just say this is a theme of California. That In California, 
the history is it, the history as you receive it, like the brown signs. The brown signs are going to be the sight of some Native American people, like a hunter-gatherer people, and the variety of their culture is awesome and exciting. But it's from like uh, uh, it feels to me like from thousands of years ago. It's, of course, it's not. It's only from a couple of hundred years ago here in California. But in in European terms, in Western civilization terms, this is uh, this is a people who lived before you know. Uh, the Iliad, it's that kind of, you know, hunter-gatherer kind of, of, of people and lifestyle and, and just and just way of being. You've got that contrasted with all of these aircraft graveyards, with which is like Cold War relics. So even around San Francisco, you've got these missile, Nike missile sites everywhere that were stationed to see off. I don't know if it was seeing off the Japanese or seeing off the Russians or, or, or maybe somebody in between. I have no, no idea, but it's just a testament to, uh, uh, our paranoia in some ways, but Hey, if you like looking at old planes, there's loads of cool old plane museums on the West coast. And, and so we looked at that and thought that was pretty cool. And we wandered inside and they had some military vehicles as well. And then we wandered into another hall and all of a sudden it was the most amazing sprint car and midget collection I'd ever seen. It was, was like, it was like, I felt like the same time as I did where I stumbled into a church in Sicily, just cause I had nothing better to do at that mo particular moment. I was waiting for Dana who was having a cooking class. Um, and and there was a, a Caravaggio, the the altarpiece, frescoed onto the wall of the church was a Caravaggio. I was, the church was only open because I happened because you know it was being cleaned that morning or something. I can't remember that, but I got talking to the old lady cleaning it, and she was like, "I was looking at the altarpiece, being like, God damn, that's like really awesome." And she was like, "It's Caravaggio." Pebble Beach 2023, what to say. Um, well, I got back 48 hours ago, so it's fresh in my mind. That's the most important thing. Um, I think the headline is that after a decade of structuring the event in pretty much the same way, this year I structured it a different way. So for the first time in at least a decade, I didn't go to the Thursday morning start of the tour um and that was really because i was just busy i'd been doing other things and 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 you know um, my son was with me he's young was tired i was just like you know what i'm not going to wake him up and force the structure that way and and it just meant that i did everything at a different time in in a and in a different place and and uh that was fine um, for the first time in a long time, I also didn't stay with a friend of mine who runs the, the, the docent program. And, and that meant that it was, was structured in a, in a different kind of way. 
Um, so, um, I stayed in this place, um, Soledad, which is down the freeway, uh, about an hour. And on the face of it, it's like, well, why would you even bother? Because it given it's only, you know, two and a half hours home to San Francisco. But there's a long, there's a big difference between two and a half hours, backwards and forwards at the beginning and end of every day versus an hour, um, at the end of the, every day. And, and also, um, quiet roads. Um, part of the reason why I like this Soldad place is, is that, um, if you have a look on the map, the route from Monterey, um, takes you, um, parallel to 101 for a lot of the route along some very quiet roads. Um, so I was kind of, I'm always keen to explore that part, that kind of rural California and see what that looks like. And of course that makes for tiring work, that, that makes for less tiring work at the end of the day. So, yeah, so I stayed out there. And of course the reason for staying out there is if you know Pebble Beach, you know, the, the accommodation around the Monterey Peninsula is just absolutely ridiculous over that weekend so well what do i mean by that i mean that a day's in that might charge you 100 bucks a night is going to charge you 400 bucks a night no kidding um earlier in the week you know if if the oh that's that's like the friday saturday sunday of pebble beach weekend um often they won't let you book for just one night um but, you know, I did stay in Monterey with Ollie on the Wednesday night and we got that motel for less than 200 a night. So, you know, it's not it's not always completely unreasonable, but it, it pretty much is completely unreasonable. And I was like, you know what, I'll see what it's like staying away and, and to be further away. And to be honest, I would do the soul of that um, kind of stay again. I stayed in the Motel 6 and, you know, that part of Soledad's base. Soledad's actually a nice town. But the Soledad part that I was staying in, where the motels are, it's like a truck stop and, and a McDonald's and a Carl's Jr. And, you know, or just, just a truck stop, basically. Um, but, you know, fine for, uh, for for me to stay and, and save me, you know, put, made, it made the accommodation was, you know, the, the $100 a night I feel comfortable paying. So there we go. Um, that, so that was the trip structured a different way. It meant that I did, uh, a, a lot of driving. Um, but you know, for me, that's part of, of Pebble, um, weekend is that you spend a lot of time in the car. Um, you're not just looking at car events. You're spending a lot of time in the car driving from one event to another, to and from accommodation, to and from dinners. Um, you know, it, it's a, it's a car weekend in every sense of, of, of the word. Um, uh, so the thing I've got sort of on the top of my list, if you like, but the, the thing that I've noted down here was I, I like to try and really defocus on the minutiae and, and really get a sense of, of a general impression. Um, and I was struck last year by all the McLarens. There were lots of McLarens at one point a driving group of like 14 of them came past me and I was like, wow, like, I mean, it feels like yesterday that McLaren was starting to manufacture road cars. And yet here's like a whole subculture of, of people younger than me, people in their thirties and forties who collecting these supercars They're you know, they're coming to Pebble beach, they're coming to car week 
I feel like they're probably not on the lawn at Pebble Beach. Maybe they are. I don't know. Maybe they, they're the people that come all dressed up with their beautiful wives and girlfriends. Um, maybe they're the people that come on the lawn in the afternoon. Um, I, d I don't know. I, it's a really peculiar kind of thing. I feel like there's a subculture of Pebble Beach. This is what I've said. I've said on this pod before. I feel like there's a subculture of Pebble Beach, which I, which doesn't mingle in the Duesenberg Packard kind of circles, which I feel like, you know, the, 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 what actually happens on the Sunday afternoon side of it. I feel like there's a whole modern supercars, like manufacturer, flashy parties element of the Pebble Week, which I have no, which I know nothing of. Anyway, so that was my thought last year. My thought this year was around how many Rolls Royces that I saw. I saw many Rolls Royces. Um, the scene, there was literally a car park full of them at Bernardus, which is the flashy hotel um, out along 68 near Laguna Seca, if you're, you're looking on a map. And really a nice place to, to stay, nice things to, to say about it. But yeah, truly, they had a car park full of Rolls Royces. I guess the manufacturers were doing some kind of... of like you know junket or, or something but uh and and don't get me wrong you know they are impressive looking cars and having seen lots of them they seem less off-puttingly ostentatious than they did to me uh, earlier in 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 the week and, and certainly the cullinan has grown on me to the extent that i feel like this is how it's truly a rolls royce like rolls it was natural for rolls royce to do an suv looking back it wasn't like shocking that Rolls Royce should do an SUV the Rolls Royce do luxury cars and luxury cars of the vintage period of the same shape and weight as a modern suburban or Escalade so why shouldn't Rolls Royce do a suburban or Escalade um, of, of their own and and there were some Cullinans there were some of these um, suicide door are they called ghosts or wraiths or whatever I don't know what they're called but they do lovely contrasting paint, some of them in very modern colours, some of them in old-fashioned. I saw one in a lovely, um, uh, like, 50s or 60s um, royal, like, royal blue. Um, really did look, look nice. It had, a, like, a retro feel to it, whereas, as I say, I saw another one that was, like, black and had a gold, gold mirrored hood. You know, bonnet was was gold down to the the spirit of of ecstasy, and you know, Rolls Royce always were for ostentatious people. But you know, I just feel that Pebble is that seems to speak to the way that Pebble Beach itself has become more about ostentatious people, people who are rich or people who are pretending to be rich, people who are uh, who are are seeing and being seen i suppose what what i would say and that was what i felt about miami there are a lot of people who are seeing and being seen a lot of people who had lamborghinis because they thought that was a way of conveying that they were wealthy which is probably the opposite it's probably a way to convey that they're somebody who's recently acquired a lot of money and doesn't really have any idea of how to save or spend it um but I guess that's Lamborghini's image, isn't it? And why not? I don't want to knock. People buy Lamborghinis. I would want to buy a Lamborghini myself if I suddenly acquired a lot of money. It seems uh, a brilliant expression 
Oh, it's like the crypto bro thing, isn't it? The yellow Lamborghini, you know. No wonder Volkswagen could dial understeer into them to make it easier for people graduating from golf diesels onto Lamborghini Huracans not to crash into the scenery with more frequency than Mustang people. So the reason why I missed the tour, the reason why Ollie was, was tired, was we had a really big day looking properly at what RM have on offer. And I guess RM are combined with, with Sotheby's now. And I think that that means they have access to a different uh, kind of, you think of how large Sotheby's are as a property management and, and sales group. It, I, it feels as if RM have suddenly gotten access in the last couple of years since the merger have gotten access to a, a bigger, you know, customer list, uh, uh, just, uh, um, I suppose what I'm saying is I was very impressed by what they had on offer, um, the breadth and depth of, of what they had on, on offer at the Portola seemed better than, than, than ever. Um, you know, the press will have it that the 250 LM Ferrari 250 LM that could have been a 30 or $40 million car. Um, you know, stalled out at $17 million or something like that. I think I, I think I read, well, you know, th this seems, um, you know, churlish given they had many high dollar cars. They had a Michael Schumacher Formula One car, the display that they had the 250 LM on, they had a Zagato bodied, um, fifties, uh, Ferrari that participated in the Mans. So that'll be a you know, super rare body style, you know, didn't read up on, on that. Um, the thing I, they had that, that really tickled my fancy and I definitely would have, uh, spent a lot of money on had I had it available was they have a Lancia LC2, which I noticed this morning didn't sell. So this is the hot rod turbo Lancia group C car that guess what was really fast, but broke down all the time. So the Porsches went on and won. Um, I was reading in the auction description that um, they did one year, they had a 2.6, and the next year they had a 3-litre. Because the 2.6 was the same engine as went in the Ferrari 2AA GTO. Quite interesting. But this this LC2, it's it's martini livery. Um, awesome, awesome-looking thing. Um, yeah, what I loved about it was the in 2.6 spec, the motor that went into the GTO, it was faster than um, the Porsches, so but unreliable. So the next year, instead of fixing reliability, they came with an even more powerful engine and now had like 840 horsepower or something. And you're like, oh, you know, welcome to Lancia Motorsport in the 1980s where everyone works in their own idea and finds you know finds funding for their own crazy idea and nobody stops to think about reliability or anything like that in a remotely constructive way um and therefore porsche won
the striking thing about RM was that, you know, right as they were meant to be closing, Ollie and I sneaked off upstairs. And in a room that they had upstairs in the hotel, um, they had an eight litre Bentley. And my favorite car, of the, and the eight litre Bentley, for my money, was a more elegant car than the eight litre Bentley that was on the show field at Pebble Beach the following day. I mean, I'd have an eight litre Bentley. I didn't look closely at either of them. Um, well, I looked pretty closely at the RM one. Lovely, lovely car. Completely fell in love with it. Um, obviously, would have had a bid on that as as well as as the LC2. Um, but my actual car of the show, uh, the car of the of RM's offering, was that a little Seata um, with the with the Fiat V8 like Otto Vu they call it, don't they? Little small capacity V8 from the early fifties. Seata used up the extra production run. There was a class of them at Pebble a few years ago with the right body on it. They're, they're not like Pebble winning elegant because they're just not big enough. And I'm not usually a small car guy, but my word. Um, I loved some of them at Pebble last year, and, and the car that RM had um, was just absolute poetry. So that or the 8-litre Bentley, they were awesome. Um the other thing that the RM did that was was kind of fun was uh, they set up outside this Ferrari barn find collection, and I guess the plot was that the cars had been stored in a warehouse and a hurricane had happened and the roof had fallen in and crushed some of the cars, and they set the display up in the same way as when the you know the hurricane crushed the cars. Uh, now, I, I, it didn't damage many of them, um, but, you know, the roof just fell in on it. And, and in fairness, uh, the, the car that's made a little bit of news is is the, the Mondial, like a little sports car from the 50s, four-cylinder sports car from the 50s, but pretty winning car. Um, I guess the estimate on it was 1.2 to 1.6, and I think it did all of that, maybe a bit more. And this for literally a twisted chassis. Literally, there is there's no car to restore. That you're buying the VIN, and a completely new car is is going to be uh, is going to be fabricated with with that identity. And you might say, well, that's really fakey do, and and uh, I might agree with you, um, but that is something you can race at Goodwood without any feeling of oh i'm trashing something original you can race that car like it came straight out of scuderia ferrari and you were a wealthy gentleman driver in the 1950s you you can get out and thrash it just like you could a continuation cobra so you know is it is it truly whatever the vin number is i mean no of course not but you know the story it can have a new history I, I, I'm, I'm fine with it. It coming, uh, it coming out of the, it being remade, reanimated, like Franken Ferrari.
So usually on a Friday evening, I would take a drive along Carmel Valley Road and I would uh, park up in the Bonhams car park and have a little look, see what, what Bonhams had on offer. Um, didn't do that this year. Um, was actually around Pebble Beach and the Lodge and looking at Retro Auto. Um, Retro Auto had... Um, the usual, like, you know, Mercedes selling their EQS stuff, which I can't get excited about, but, but you know, it's not really aimed at me, is it? Um, there was also a smaller but very compelling JDM display, um, including a Spoon Civic. Why Spoon? I don't understand Spoon. I'm going to need to Google Spoon but like a white Civic three-door with just like set up street race back. And you're just like, yes, this is a classic car. This is the 32 Ford, the 55 Chevy, the Civic, the white Civic with the strut braces and, and the aftermarket wheels slammed. This is a classic car of the highest order. I feel like I need to buy one. I feel like if you fill a warehouse with them in years to come, it'll be like hot rod Mustangs or Camaros. You heard it here first. Um, what they also had and what got my attention even more was a, a feature of JDM and the drift scene. A feature I've noticed is the use of four door sedans because you're looking for rear wheel drive so it can drift properly. So a lot of those cars, it's obviously better to have a two-door car there, more handsome, but generally speaking, it's hard to go two-door car with the big motor, whereas you can get your, and, and by this I mean think Infiniti Q45, Lexus LS400, something that has a big V8 that you can weld the differential up and turn it into something which corners like the Dukes of Hazard, because that's the, the goal with these kind of cars. Well, well. There was a car in this JDM exhibit that was stanced, you know, with the wide lit wheels lowered with the drift stance so it can, can slide. No bonnet, no hood. Um, hood, it's Japanese, I don't know, whatever. The engine was exposed, the giant turbo, all polished up, show car standard, but looking like a drift car, the, the tailpipe that protrudes and, and bends up. And this was a, this was a four-door sedan. I can't remember. It was some JDM uh, uh, Toyota, I think, maybe a Nissan. I can't remember exactly what it was. We'll include picture. Um, really interesting to see that there. That was one of the most interesting cars I uh, I saw the, the whole the whole of uh, of Pebble Week. <laughs>
I also um, missed the end of the quail um, when I didn't bother driving down Carmel Road like I usually would. So historically what I've done is the quail event takes place on Friday. And if you sneagle along by the golf course there, um, as the show is closing about 5.30, uh, you might see interesting cars, but you will see interesting cars being loaded. And quite often you can take a stroll across the field and see some of the cars left on the field, you know, because the show's over and, um, you know, people aren't, you know, there's workers, you know, already taking the, the thing apart. Um, you know, unpacking. So, you know, a lot of cars are covered up. A lot of the stands have already gone by that time, but you can still see uh, a lot of the show. And I've always felt like you really get to see a different, really high caliber car at the quails. So it seemed worth trying to do that. But, you know, I, I didn't want to sort of bend the rules this year. I was, I don't know, I was feeling rule abiding this year. I don't know. And anyway, I was up, as I say, I was up at the lodge. I was looking at this interesting JDM stuff. Mercedes had some really interesting cars in fact the his the car that mercedes had that caught my eye the most was the car that appeared on the concourse lawn as the factory entry of in the mercedes-benz s-class category so they the original s-class if you're not aware mercedes and benz merged in 1926 they were forced to merge by the collapse of the Weimar republic Obviously, at that point, it was critical that you did a good product that had some export sales because otherwise it was like you weren't going to survive. And and the car that they created, which was designed by Porsche, was called the S-Class. Yes, designed by Porsche. I said that correctly. This is Porsche, uh, the, the, the Porsche Senior. I can't remember whether Ferry or Ferdinand. I think Ferry is the younger one. Ferdinand is the older one, but but whatever. It was designed by uh, uh, Porsche. Um an amazing feat of engineering, great looking car. Um, and I was looking at that instead of being at the quail. So I did get out to the track. Um, uh, we went on the Thursday. Um, we arrived sort of mid-afternoon. It was, I think it was 30 to get, I mean, or 60 to get in for the car and me. And the, and the boy was free. So if you were adults, that would work out quite expensive. But the parking was easy. Um, I guess it's pebble, isn't it? It just always does. So we, we went on the Thursday. So the, so the uh, Monterey Historic Reunion officially runs from Wednesday through to the Sunday. So we went on Thursday and we could drive straight into the infield and, and park up. Um, we parked just by the entry to turn five, the sort of bank left-hander. So if you know Laguna Seca, I guess one is one is over the crest over the start finish two is the hairpin 
three is the right after the hairpin, four is the next right. So we were parked just on the entry for turn five, the bank left-hander. Um, the boy knows the circuit now, always has me climb up to the corkscrew, which uh, keeps, me, uh, keeps me healthy and makes me regret having had the beer that I usually chugged at the bottom of the hill. Um, we, we loved walking, um, viewing, he loves viewing from the corkscrew. He enjoyed the Group C cars the most this time. Don't know where that came from, just the noise in the theatre. I think he just absolutely loved them. Um, they were the ones he wanted to look at when we were in, in the paddock. Um, we have a little spot at the top of the hill where we like to sit, where there's like a butt-shaped rock that you can sit on that's uh, in, in the shade. Because um, it was balls hot. I mean, of course, it always is, but it's balls hot. Um, my thought about Laguna, and I was saying this to him, is is uh, from, from that, from turn two, the tight hairpin, through three, the right, four, the next right, five, the bank left, and six, the next bank left. Um, you can go faster and faster, and there's a wonderful rhythm to it. And I think when people say, oh, the circuit's technical, um, I think what they mean is that you need to realize that it's been sort of designed to have that kind of, of rhythm. And that was a bit of a learning for me because I'm used to circuits like Thruxton or Silverstone where it's the corners don't have, there's no sense of like rhythm or anything like that. It's just flat and fast and open. And, and you know, people who don't know British club circuits, you do know Silverstone and the British Grand Prix cops corner at the end of the start finish the 90 degree that they can go through flat out where uh, Verstappen and Hamilton tangled a few years ago I mean that corner is everything about a British club circuit to me it's 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 fast it's flat it's open and it's just not technical you just have to like get the apex right and the car has to be good and the cojones have to be big and and that's the the, the circuit um Laguna Seca has a whole different level of sophistication. It's it, it's cool, but and it's a different it's a different kind of thing. Um, and I was thinking about that when I was there just 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 recently. Um, the ones I loved the most um, were the historic Formula One cars. Um, you know, the I guess Phil Riley has moved on to past his new. Um, he's the person, or he, his shop is the place to have your DFV rebuilt and it's just across the bridge over in uh Corte Madeira just the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge so I always felt like it was very practical and attainable to you know buy your Brabham or your Lotus or your Williams Formula One car and have Phil Riley do the the engine building uh, on it um so we mourn Phil Riley moments uh moments silence or moments revving motors for uh for Phil Riley but um, yeah, so I enjoyed the historic Formula Ones there. Um, I guess the other thing that I noticed being there is, is how, um, the brass era racing cars, the, you know, the epic stuff that I love, that's not really that well suited to Laguna Seca. Um, but every year at the, at, you know, 
the Rolex Motorsport Reunion, which is the the brand name, I guess, of of the races at, at Laguna Seca over Pebble Beach weekend. Um, they always brand themselves like the Ragtime Racers, and they have like a spot right at the begin, right at the front of the the paddock, and and posters and awnings and and a whole piece of theatre which is set up and felt very similar to the piece of theatre that the auction companies had. And I was just thinking about how in an era where you can see what's going on on the track at Laguna Seca better on YouTube than you can in person, or where you can buy a vehicle from Bring a Trailer rather than going to an auction, it seems that they're stepping up you know, the live events are stepping up their theatrical game. They're leaning into the fact that they recognize that this is sort of performative theater that you're involved in. And there has to be this dynamic performative theater element. Otherwise, you just won't watch it on YouTube. Um, yeah, it's terrific, right? I'm, I'm not saying that this is um, it's somehow a, ba a bad thing or a cheesy thing. I'm saying that it's exciting that, uh, you know, that, that, the environment, you know, the the smell, the motion, the drama of of classic cars works well. The, the you know the theatre should not be a stranger for for classic cars. So to actual Pebble Beach itself, and and again, this was structured a little differently for me, um, because in in the past, um, my friend Wayne Wayne Craig's guy's name, he's the docent lead at, at, at Pebble Beach, been a friend of mine for 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 years, great guy. Um, Wayne has usually been able to get us a ride with somebody who has a disabled placard. And that enables us to park in a different car park from the one that we'd normally, the other volunteers park in. So most years I've had the luxury of getting up a little later, parking in a car park reasonably close and walking to the lodge um, where you get the volunteer breakfast and so on. Well, this time, not only had I, was I staying in Soledad an hour away from the volunteer parking spot, but the volunteer parking spot was a park and ride and I had to like allow an hour for the parking and riding. So between not eating very well, not, you know, probably having a beer more than I should have done the night before, um, the rising at 3.30 or whatever horrific time it was, I did have to get up. I just was not fully myself all the way through all the way through the day but that said um the show itself remains an absolute tour de force in you know simply getting the very best cars and putting them together in the very best way it, it's every class every element you look at the closer you look the better it is yeah 
by 10.30 in the morning, you cannot see the cars or judge elegance remotely because of all the bloody people standing in the way. And that is, it, it's literally, it's like visiting Paris and trying to go to an art museum and see whatever the thing that you're meant to see is. There's always some asshole taking a selfie blocking your view you can't like contemplate you can't you can't silently contemplate the mona lisa as its creator did for hours and at the time as its owners have through the centuries which is what makes it as valuable as it is you can't do that in the louvre because there's some asshole from some other bloody european conquistador country driving their elbow into your face in order to take a selfie of themselves with the mona lisa and right i i mean just ah anyway stepping off my uh rant it's the morning is the time to see the cars you can actually step back and appreciate the elegance you can later in the evening as well if you stay late in the but of course a lot of the cars have moved around by then and you may not be able to appreciate the actual car that you're looking for in, until the end and i years ago i used to have the stamina to get up early do the whole day and and stay to, to the end but i confess this year i i didn't have as much stamina and uh i i uh, i left before the the ramp ceremony um not least because my first tour wasn't until 10 30 so between like arriving on the field at six o'clock and watching the cars and looking at them there's then a long time um until your first until your first tour so i was exhausted uh certainly by uh by lunchtime but anyway um in terms of the careful balance of classes that i love pebble for uh they contrast the something new so we talked about, you know, Lamborghini, the, the curated cars being there. Um, it was 60 years of Lamborghini. It was 60 years of McLaren. Um, they had a Senna MP4 from 1988. Um, this is the year that Senna and Prost were dominant. This is the year that Senna emerges as arguably, if not the greatest driver who ever lived, the fastest driver who ever lived, arguably. So the only way to frame that is to say that, you know, if, if Arthur was the greatest warrior who ever lived, Excalibur's sword is an awesome thing to behold. And in that McLaren, we are looking at Excalibur and, and that was a awesome thing. Um, it's in a row that has three McLaren F1s in it, a road car that's done 200 miles in its whole life, a racing guy and arguably, I, I mean, maybe the car that won them all. I didn't, I have not checked the car guide that they do a good job of giving out now. And, and fundamentally the car guide has more information in it than I can give as a tour guide. But what the car guide can't do is the kind of stuff that the tour group that I had wanted, which was how does the concourse work and how do they choose the cars and all of that kind of blocking and tackling of, of, of the concourse. Um, 
So yeah, so my tour group was from Mercedes-Benz. Mercedes-Benz were arguably the featured mark. There was a class of S's, SSK's and SSKL's. And, you know, you can see the model evolution there. And then in classic Pebble style, they do a Vanderbilt Cup class. And there's three um, Mercedes from the Vanderbilt Cup era, which just shows what absolute monsters on the track uh, Daimler and Benz were before the two companies merged. And then you've got this awesome S-Class and you can show the punters the difference between what your company was doing on the racetrack and what your company was doing on the road. And we talked about single fingered and the in-house coach building, which I, I just think is the most awesome thing. Um... Williams, the Black Art Museum patron, uh, creator, has has passed. Um, the black, uh, the big part of of Pebble Beach, Pebble Beach, have have had a big song and dance uh, uh, about it this year. Um, you know, and and I want to to pay tribute to how Don touched me. In, in a completely unpretentious way, which is that, you know, my connection with the classic car space at, in California began with my engagement with the Black Hawk Museum Docent program. Wayne Craig, who leads the Docent program at Pebble, I met him through the Docent program at, at Black Hawk. So, you know, the connection is, is there and there's still, um, you know, the core, uh, core of us um, Pebble Beach docents who were docents at the Black Hawk or, or still are. Um, so um, Don, his thing was to touch as many of the great cars as he could. Um, so in other words, he wasn't a buyer and a keeper. He was a buyer and a seller. Um, he sold the first million dollar car. He sold the first $10 million car. Um, the story that sums up his aesthetic best is the, the, when he and Ken Baring set up the Black Hawk Museum in, in Danville in California, um, the two of them had had dinner in Geneva and they were walking in, in Geneva, as you do after dinner, looking in their windows of the watch shops. And and they were looking at the way the jewellery, the watches, the rings were offset against this mirrored black background. And the thought was, we should do a car museum like that. We should do a car museum where the cars are set up like that. So that was the thought with the Black Hawk. And... This is in a time when, this is in the 80s, in a time when, you know, and, you know, we have this term now, over-restored. And, and at that time, 
we were over restoring cars and and you know my own desire to keep things original is at odds with don williams's desire to have everything as as beautiful and shiny as as possible and let your wife choose the color that's kind of the way that a, a lot of people do do these these kind of cars and and you know for somebody who loves the original finish um you know gussie in the car up and then taking it to a car show and hoping that it wins that's just not a, a part of the hobby that i'm in so don williams once said uh i don't like crap and uh i always kind of took that personally because basically everything that uh i have would fall into crap as his category because he loves stuff absolutely picture perfect you know the white wall tires that the gleaming chrome that was how he, he wanted cars to be and and in his era in the 80s you you know if if the leather was cracked you restored that um and and for us now that's destroying the patina and it's really hard to to, to think about but you know for, for me um the it's not just like the patina and whether the leather's cracked or not or whether the paint's faded or not whether you can, you know, win a car show with it or whether it's as the car was, you know, the original 30s leather. Um, f for me, it's about storytelling. And dramatic as the Blackhawk notion of the car floating like a piece of jewellery against the background, dramatic as that is, it blunts your ability to tell a story and relate it to the people. Um, so in the Black Hawk, you know, docents would always talk about wanting to have mannequins and, and Don was always keen to avoid that um, because they'd look absurd, right? They, they would make the cars look silly. Um, but with the mannequins, that was a great way to engage a tour group, especially children, with the idea that they might be able to ride in this car, drive this car. These are the kind of clothes that people used to wear to drive these cars. It was just a way of humanizing the exhibit, which was exactly what Don and Ken's original vision did not encompass. So I just think that's interesting. And I think it's, it's uh, there's almost, um, you know, it's museum fashions and it's fashions about how um, to collect, um, how to show connoisseurship. That's fundamentally what is being um, discussed here. Um, and, you know, I, I guess I could disagree with um, Don about whether or not I like crap. He doesn't, I do. Um, I do love that he elevated old cars from being secondhand tools to being antiques. Because before his time, you know, a Duesenberg was just an old car. And it was people uh, from his generation who looked at them and were like, no, they're, they're not just old cars. They're amazing bits of American history. And they really need to be preserved and gloried. And, and uh, that's exactly what he and guys like Nethercut and, and so on did. Um, so hat off to, to so Godspeed, Don Williams, with your touch every car. Godspeed, sir.
should say as well, the Trossy Mercedes was uh, on the lawn, the Trossy Mercedes SSK. Trossy, of course, one of Ferrari's early financial backers, pretty handy driver. Um, raced an SSK, liked it later, bought it back, had a dramatic body put on it. It's the picture that I've used for the episode. Um, owned by Ralph Lauren. Um, I've never before wanted to pick a best in show before the show, but this time I was like, the Trossy car will win. Um, it wasn't being judged. Natch. There you go. It did win a couple of years ago. Um, a couple of other cars on the field have won other years as, as well. Um, applicably, uh, it was a Mercedes that won this year. It was a 540k special roadster, a, a black one. Um, quite pleasing for me. Um, my tour group, as I said, was was people from um, Mercedes-Benz. Bloody excellent English, all of them, by the way. Um, I didn't even realize they were all German until halfway through my tour. Um, but uh, um, didn't know much about the Concours, so I did a lot of explaining how the Concours mechanics worked. You know, you start with 100 points, you get deductions, the class, whoever wins the class is the, you know, that yes, the tour arrives are important. If a piece is missing, that's a point off. Um, when did the judges do the judging? You know, how do we choose the judges? How does one get to be a, you know, all of that kind of stuff, which, which, uh, uh, it was a real pleasure, um, talking with them, uh, with them about, um, it just goes to show that people don't want the speeds and feeds on the cars. They really don't. Um, yeah. Um, it was very pleasing to me that my tour ended. I ended my tour by comparing a Mercedes 540K with uh, an 8-litre Bentley. And there was a horse in between. And we talked about, you know, Audi and horse. And, you know, we could compare the three together. They loved doing that. And then later in the afternoon, the Mercedes was best in show. So that just worked out well. I hope they had a memorable time. They certainly seemed like they they did. One particularly pleasing thing for me this year was I stood on the field at one point early in the day trying to orient where I was going to stand my stand to do my various little talking spots. And uh, a woman came up to me and said, did I remember her? And I was like, I'm afraid I don't. And she said, you did a, a tour for us two years ago. Uh, we loved it. Um, we're doing another tour today, but I just wanted to say how much I enjoyed your tour. Um, and I, she went away and I was like, gosh, I don't remember you, but you remembered me. And that's just super cool. That's why I, that's why I bothered doing this. Um, so black Mercedes won best in show. Um, I used a black Mercedes for the show, used the old E55, 800 miles backwards and forwards to and from Soledad. Um, it sat for six months. Um, before this time I did the battery and the, uh, locks as I've prowled about in another one of these pods but yeah I just cracked 800 miles onto it and the damn thing's just worn it beautifully um some of them you know cruising miles some of them really quite hard miles and I've lived in the car as you tend to in these at these kind of events you know sat in it um with the air conditioning on um it's absolutely brilliant I love the W210 E55, cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, yes, it has the rust on every body panel. 
now it has a terribly cracked windshield i guess i was when it came out of storage i turned the wiper on it was raining and i think the wiper must have been a bit stuck in dust or something anyway it, when it, it cracked the windshield so the windshield's now looking like it's uh, uh yeah not terribly cracked but it's got three or four different you know foot long winding cracks away from where the wiper mounts but we love the black mercedes and this pebble was very much the pebble of uh, of the black mercedes so i want to wrap up by just talking about something that's just been gnawing at me about not just pebble beach but about old car events generally um and it was sort of summed up by something a friend said to me about how cadaverous appearing some of the entrants were and in his mind there was a contrast between the old car which has been perfectly restored and the woman presenting it who has had a ton of plastic surgery and yet still appears faintly cadaverous um this sort of idea of of the car somehow being legacy this is why she's invested all this time and energy in an object which she says she's you know not going to drive like of course i wouldn't drive it which is the object's purpose so that it seems odd in itself and and you know she is trying to make herself new and the car has been made new there's a very odd um i think the i think the term is avatar is the going on here this is there's a really odd um dynamic taking place uh, uh, around this and and um this idea was introduced to me um shortly after i had been overheard a snippet of conversation and it was during judging so it must have been earlier in the day or maybe it wasn't during judging maybe it was either way it was a it was a contestant talking about himself with with somebody and i just heard a snippet of what he said and he said because you know i am a plastic surgeon by trade you know i am a plastic surgeon by trade and i'm thinking yeah that the, the aesthetic on display in the plastic surgeon's office and the aesthetic on display on the field at pebble beach are maybe similar things so maybe it would be poetic to just end profoundly there but i'm, I'm not going to do that um, i'm going to recommend a youtuber that i've been watching um uk car i'm not sure if he's a scouser but he has a sort of scousy kind of accent can't remember the guy's name lee lee is the guy's name he only started the youtube channel in november it's really picked up quickly because of his i don't know he has a really he has a direct clear manner and he is the kind of person you would do business with you can understand why he's been successful in the car trade he used to do auction stuff he tells us he goes to auctions 
um, does an assessment of the car. You feel like you learn a lot. That's why I started watching him. Um, I guess YouTube's affected his life because he used to do an MOT station and he stopped doing that now. And he's setting up his own like used car tray like stand now. And I think partly it's because the YouTube thing has given him the chance to advertise and build credibility in, in a completely different way. So just as part of my car storytelling, I just, just love this bloke. He's, he's, uh, you know, I enjoyed rabbits used cars when rabbit actually talked about used cars, but now rabbit's gone all Hollywood. Um, this guy from, from Northern England, he's taken over from chops garage as my new favorite YouTuber. So thanks for listening. Don't know whether you feel like this format works. I disable all the comments anyway, don't I? So you can't insult me. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll carry on with this format. Maybe I won't. It's completely the artist's whim.